to Philippians chapter 1. We are looking at this epistle, at this letter uh, of the Apostle Paul uh, to the believers in Philippi. Uh, He has written this letter some 11 years uh, after he uh, first went into the city of Philippi with the gospel. He preached the gospel. Uh, You might remember in Acts chapter 16, uh, if you get a chance to read Acts chapter 16, there is the background of the church in Philippi and uh, the first meeting with Lydia, the seller of purple, who is the first uh, believer. And also that's, as we said, that's the first time the gospel was brought into on the continent of Europe, uh, was, was in Philippi. Uh, and so we read all about that. We, we read about the, the young girl, the, the soothsayer. Soothsayers made money off of her. Uh, she, she got saved which created a, a problem for the people that were making money off of her, and that, that's what ended up, that's where Paul ended up in prison. Of course, he sings in prison, he gets released, and then the Philippian jailer gets saved. And so, with all that, more people heard the gospel, more people got saved that we don't read about. Uh, but now, 11 years later, Paul is in a Roman prison, and he's writing to them, uh, and he writes to them as very dear friends, and he writes to them uh, just out of great love. Uh, apparently, uh, there was trouble brewing. We'll get a little bit of that today uh, in, in some of the things that Paul says. But as I mentioned, we are, we're looking at just the opening of the letter, his salutations, his greetings. And they're quite lengthy, as Paul's would often be. But it was very common. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, you know, they've, they've uncovered so much uh, archaeological and historically of um, writings from that day, what we call the Greco-Roman period, uh, that first century. And so there's all kinds of like secular documents that have been found, government documents, just you know, generic writings. And, and there have been people that have spent massive amounts of time studying these letters. And then some of them who really know all about that have studied the letters of Scripture. And they found a lot of similarities and, and one of the things they discovered is that the book of Philippians is really just a letter. Paul's just writing a letter, just like any old letter that had some of the same components. And so the salutation, the greetings, followed a standard format. First, it would identify who was writing the letter. We see that in chapter in verse 1. Then he would write who the letter was to. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and, and then we see... The next, uh, let's see, what is it? It's the writer, the addressee, then greetings. And then often in, in like secular writings, there would be some kind of well-wishing or maybe sometimes a prayer. And that was just your standard format. And Paul followed that to a degree. And yet in all his writings, now remember Paul's epistles And there's many of them in the New Testament. They're just letters. And he would follow that same standard format as most Greeks that were writing letters to one another. But yet, there were some unique things about that Paul had in his letters. And one of them was right after that greeting. He had all those three things. And then instead of this, instead of just wishing them well, Paul, very characteristically, and sometimes through a prayer, would offer thanksgiving to God. 
You just did not see that in those ancient letters. Thousands and thousands of letters. And, you know, it all had the standard greeting. And then it would have some well wish uh, for someone's health. For example, Third uh, John is an epistle where it has that typical greeting. Third John chapter 1, only chapter, verse 2. John says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So, in other words, that would be similar to us writing and saying, I trust this letter finds you well. That's like they're wishing them good health. And again, that was third. John has that. But this is where Paul deviates. And he begins to thank God for these people. And we see an interesting thing. Paul is very consistent. In his letters, he exhorts the church in three areas. In fact, what one writer called, and I'm picking up on this because this is the theme of today, Paul in his writings would bring out what he what one writer calls an indissoluble union. In other words, there's three things in Paul's letters that are connected. You, you can't have one without the other. And over and over again, including in this letter, you will see these three indissoluble things that you cannot separate. The first one is prayer. The second one is thanksgiving. And the third one is joy. And these three, all three, go hand in hand. Now here's what's interesting. Humanly, when we would approach letter writing or communication uh, or these topics, we would the world would separate one of those three things on its own and then put the other two things and say, well, they're important. And that is, okay, think about it. You got prayer, you got thanksgiving, and you got joy. Well, prayer, that's religious, right? <laughs> prayer is one that, that people would set aside. And everyone else would look at those other things. Thanksgiving and joy are two things that are positive. They're things that everybody would want. And so those things are important. Thanksgiving, prayer. In fact, we have a national holiday called Thanksgiving. And it's been going on as a tradition for multitudes, you know, for centuries here in our, in our, in our country. But it's interesting that it's been changing. And this first aspect of prayer has been severed, it seems. In other words, God has been removed. And when you read Paul's writings, and when we look at Philippians chapter 1, we're going to see that Paul, unlike all the Greco-Roman letters and all the, all the historical data of people that would communicate, Paul would do something that was uniquely Christian in the beginning of his letters, almost hands down every time. And it's, he would give thanks. But not just in a, hey, let's feel thankful, let's appreciate what we have, but it would always be he gives thanks to God. And here's what I submit to you today, and here's what we're going to look at in the Scriptures. I believe those three things are so indissoluble that if we don't have one, we don't have the other two. Prayer, thanksgiving, and joy. They're the indissoluble unity. So let's jump in. Verse 3 through 5. That's all we're looking at today. Three verses. 
Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And now begin to notice these three things. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank my lucky stars. Does he say that? No. He says, I thank my God. There's a human, there's a person in this. Not a human, there's Jesus, but there's a person here. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Prayer, thanksgiving, joy. Are those things in your life? Do you pray? And I submit to you, that will affect whether or not you have genuine thanksgiving and whether or not you have joy. See, people that are joyless aren't thankful. And most people that are joyless have, if they have a relationship with God, have gotten far from Him. Because the closer you and I are to God, the more we think about God, the more we become aware of His goodness, His benevolence. And the more we learn of His benevolence, His goodness, the more thankful we become. And the more thankful we come for for counting our blessings and thinking about all these things, the more joy we have. But I submit to you, you take away one, and you take away the other two. So let's look at this. First of all, thanksgiving, uniquely Christian. Paul again says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This was common for Paul. Paul practiced what he preached. And I want to just read to you real quickly little statements in, in most of his other letters in the New Testament. And this was what he would, this is the, virtually what we just read here in verses 2 and 3, or verses 3 and 4 uh, and 5 are in all his letters. Listen just real quickly. Romans chapter 1, that's an epistle to the believers in Rome. And in verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Uh, 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians that we have. I, verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Ephesians, a letter of Paul to the, to the church in Ephesus. Verse 16, I cease, we cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This sounds very much like what we're reading here in Philippians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians, the first epistle to the church in Thessalonica. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. That sounds like Philippians 1. Then the second epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians. Verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or fit, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. You get that? You get that? There's a pattern here. Paul, and this is uniquely Christian, unique to Paul's epistles, he is just overflowing with gratitude, so much so that he begins every letter expressing his appreciation. Whether the letter is a letter of praise, primarily, or a letter of rebuke. 1 Timothy, he writes another, it is a letter to Timothy. Verse 12, I thank 
Jesus Christ our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting in me into the ministry. Second Timothy, another letter, verse chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve. You get the idea, right? Colossians, Philemon. That's how Paul starts his letter. Thanking God for people. And he's always thanking. Let's talk about who he's... He's not just saying, like, again, thank my lucky stars. He's not just saying, I'm so grateful. You know, I've noticed with Thanksgiving the holiday, studying American history, it was the focus was always on. In fact, there were proclamations year after year by many of our presidents. We are, it's not just Thanksgiving, we are thanking Almighty God for his manifold blessings. Now, we still have Thanksgiving. I imagine that's not going to go away. But as America gets more secular, you notice how God's being left out of it? Now it's like, let's say what we're thankful for, but let's not say who we are thankful to, because after all, that's religious. We don't believe in God. We just, we just believe we have things to be thankful for. You see what happens when you remove the benevolent God from gratitude? What do you, again, it's like you're saying, I thank my lucky stars. Because that's all it is. If you had a good year, or whatever positives that are in your life, if you don't believe in God, then they're not coming from, from a generous being that's putting it in your life. It's just how it worked out. Boy, that's kind of a little dark, isn't it? Like, well, imagine if every Thanksgiving it was like, well, we had a good year so we can be thankful. So what happens on the bad years? Well, we don't be thankful. Because, again, it's all just chance, happenstance. But see, Paul, when he's expressing this thanksgiving, it's always because he's, he's thanking God, the benevolent, he's the benefactor. God is the one that is blessing us. That's why prayer is integral for these other two things. If you have no relationship with God, or you have not experienced the goodness of God through salvation, then your thanksgiving is going to be so surfacy and so temporal based on, you know, how good was your day? How good was your week? How are things working out for you? Folks, I want to tell you, when you have a relationship with the benevolent God, you see his good hand in every area of your life, no matter how things are going at the moment so that you can give thanks in everything. That is uniquely Christian. I I love the story. Uh, Harry Ironside, maybe some of you have heard of him. The older I get, the the more I realize that some of my illustrations are dated. Like Harry Ironside has been with the Lord for many years, but for the last few decades, many of God's people have benefited from his writings. He was a pastor he was a theologian. He wrote many books, commentaries on different scriptures. Uh, just a godly man. And uh, he shared the story one time. He was in a restaurant. And someone came in. And I don't know the details, but someone came in and asked if they could join him when he was eating. He said, sure, take a seat. And then he bowed his head. And he did what he always did. And he, he just prayed silently. And after a few minutes, he, he lifted up his head. And the, the man that was sitting there was looking at him. He said, do you have a headache? He said, no. He said, was something wrong with the food you ate? 
And then he realized, he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I'm just doing what I always do, and I'm bowing my head and thanking God for my food. And the man said, oh, you're one of them. <laughs> he said, I want you to know that, uh, he said, I have, um, I earn my own money. He said, um, I make my own money by the sweat of my brow. And nobody else, I don't have, I don't have to thank anyone for it because I earned it all myself. So, so when I, I don't, you know, when I eat, I don't pray. I just dig right in. And Harry Ironside looked at him and he said, ah, yeah, that's just like my dog. He does that. He just digs right in. I love that. I love that. Because you know what? If you're just an animal, if there is no God, if you created your own life and blessings, then there's no person, there's no being with whom you're going to need to express gratitude for. So you're just like a regular beast and you can just dig in. Just like a dog. But we are not just animals, brute beasts. We were created by Almighty God. And we believe that He has given us all things, including food, to enjoy. So they come from somewhere. They're not our own. But when you, lose, when you remove God from the picture, prayer doesn't exist. Prayer is religious. And those two other things of being thankful and joy tend to be elusive. But when you put a benevolent God in the picture, it changes everything. So I submit to you, those three things, prayer, thanksgiving, and joy, go hand in hand. Next, the indissoluble union, which are those three things. I want you to take your Bibles now and look at another letter that Paul wrote, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's where Paul challenges another group of believers to do what we see he's doing in Philippians chapter 1 and in all his other letters. Here he tells them, and this is the formula. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul's kind of ending the letter up, and he, he gives this list, uh, kind of a scattergun approach, challenging them, the, all the things on his mind. And he's, he's saying, do this, do that, do that. Kind of a staccato, just rapid fire. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, look what he says in these final challenges. He says, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Those are the three things. Rejoice, joy, prayer, and giving of thanks. Folks, these three things, not just here, not just in Philippians 1, but throughout scriptures, we see that these three things are indissoluble. You take away one, and you don't have the other two. Genuinely. Look at, uh, if you're there, first, now turn to chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We see him doing it. He didn't just do it, this formula. He didn't just mention it in Philippians chapter 1. He didn't just exhort them to do it. He did it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Paul says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, 
all uh, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking of your faith. Here's the three elements again and again. And by the way, notice that all of this is centered around, first of all, the benevolent God, but then people. Paul, when he thanks God, he thanks God primarily not for things. Now he does, for example, back in Philippians chapter 1, one of the things, in fact, he says, if you go back to Philippians chapter 1, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And so, and he's going to mention this in the letter, that when Paul, we'll get to this, but Paul was, it was the things that when Paul would remember them, and they had just sent a very generous gift to Paul to help him in the gospel ministry. And so now he's writing a letter. Part of it is to thank them for their gift. We'll get to that in chapter 4, when he said, when he praises God for the gift. Not that he desired a gift, but he, he desired fruit that would abound to their account. You might remember that. But again, Paul was primarily not thanking God for things. He was thanking God for people. And, and I want you to realize, folks, that it is people that God blesses us with. Primarily people. In fact, one I love this. One, one, um, one commentator made this statement. His thanksgiving is for people, for those special gifts whom God has brought into his life, who despite whatever frustration or grief they may also cause him, are invariably a source of great joy and thanksgiving. I like that. See, sometimes those gifts can bring frustration. People, right? You ever have, have you never had people problem? You're looking at me like, What is he talking about? You've all just been so blessed. People can be a challenge, can't they? Some of them can... Okay, now you're with me. Some of them can be frustrating. Some of them can bring you grief. But generally, folks, people are a blessing. Even the ones... And and that's why I love this. You know, he's thanking God for those special gifts whom God has brought into his life despite whatever frustration or grief they may also cause him, they are invariably a source of great joy and thanksgiving. And that's what oozes out in Paul's letters. He's just, he really genuinely is so thankful for them. You might say, well, that's, that's fine for the church in Philippi because they didn't have any problems yet. But he did the same thing to the Corinthians. He did the same thing to the Galatians. He did the same thing to the Ephesians. And some of them, there's some pretty strong rebuke in there, but he still was just so grateful for what God did. In fact, somebody pointed this out years ago, um, that there's several themes in Philippians. We'll look at some of them as we go. But one of the things that was pointed out is Paul talks a lot about them all, like he says, in fact, in, in verse 1, Paul says, or in verse, um, in chapter 1, verse, well, look at chapter 1, verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, for you all. And in verse 1, he wrote, to all the saints. And this seems to be a theme where Paul 
is challenging them as a body. And what many believe, and it, and it seems, is it seems that there was possibly trouble on the horizon. Some things were being stirred up in the church in Philippi. And Paul would address it in this letter. And so when Paul keeps saying, for you all, he was kind of encouraging a, a unity among them. In fact, in chapter 4 and verse 2, we'll get to that eventually, he says this, I beseech Yodius and, and I beseech Syntyche, those were two people, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So there was something brewing, perhaps, some strife, and that this, this Paul keeps mentioning this idea of you all. This includes all of you. And Paul was even including... Um, Eodius and, and Syntyche, he was including them when he said, I thank God for you all. Even whatever's going on there, he still thanked God for them all. I want to ask you, do you thank God for the gifts that He has given you, the people that He has put in your life? Do you see them as gifts? Despite the fact that some people, like the Galatians, could be frustrating to Paul, despite the fact that you have people like Yodius and Syntyche who are kind of butting heads, despite that, people are gifts that God puts in our lives. And we need to see them that way. We need to thank God for those people. Uniquely, God has given us, God has put each one of you here in my life. You could be going to any other church. There's a church down there, there's a church down there. There's a lot of churches around here. And yet God puts you here for this time. And I praise God for each one of you. You all have had various, you've had major impacts in my life. In, in some, some of you have been here longer. Uh, but I praise God for you. You are gifts to this church. And I hope you see the people in your life that way. Because when you... When you see people as gifts, you have gratitude for them, you're thankful for them, and you're thankful for the person that put them in your life. That's God. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? All right, the old ones, the older ones remember Paul Harvey. There was, a, for those of you that are younger, there was a, a guy on the radio, um, he would have a little radio spot, and he would tell all these feel-good stories. And he had a very, just everybody loved Paul Harvey. I've never talked to anyone that said, I did not like Paul Harvey. He had, the, he had a very warm voice. Um, just, just, and he would tell these really feel-good stories. And he would always end with, and now you know the rest of the story. You know? And, and I, I just, I love Paul Harvey. I, would listen, I became so familiar with him, I counted him as a friend, even though I never saw him. And about two or three years ago, a video popped up in my feed in YouTube, and it was Paul Harvey doing one of his things, but it was videotaped. And I, I had no idea what he looked like. You ever done this before? And you look, at, you look at the person, you hear the voice, and you're like, I never would have thought he looked like that. Well, Paul Harvey tells us one story about an old man, and this is true, an old man uh, for many of the end, towards the end of his life, uh, he lived off the coast of the eastern coast of Florida, and every Friday night, this old man would go to the coast on an old specific beat-up dock, and he would have a bucket. He was kind of hunched over. 
And every Friday night he had a routine that he would bring a bucket full of shrimp and he would just feed the seagulls. And he did that Friday night after Friday night, week after week, until the man died in 1973. And a lot of people got familiar with this man. A lot of people didn't know who he was, but some people did. His name was Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, who many years before, in October of 1942, was on a mission in a B-17 bomber with a crew that were traveling... uh, getting a message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. And they lost their way over the sea. They ran out of fuel. They lost air contact and they had to ditch the plane. They had several life rafts. And so those men were adrift at sea for three weeks. And um, I can't imagine that. After about eight days, they ran out of food. And uh, they they were hungry. They were they they just you know all the they, they had to fight the scorching sun. They had sharks that he estimated one. Of, they were some of them were about ten feet long, and the biggest raft they had was nine feet by five. And so they're constantly fighting all these things off. But he said the biggest thing we had to fight off was starvation. And so he he shares the story how one one day they apparently they had service. Somebody read the reading. They had prayer, asking God to protect them and to provide for them, all these starving men. And then they sang a few hymns, and then it quieted down. And he started to fall asleep. And all of a sudden, he felt something land on his head, on his hat. He had his hat pulled down. And he said, all of a sudden, that woke him up. He slowly looked up, and he saw all the other guys looking at his head. It was a seagull. And a seagull, way, way far from shore, a seagull, to them, meant food. If he could catch it. And they all looked at him, and he knew what it was, and he grabbed it. And they were able to eat, and then they used parts of the seagull for, for, to fish for more fish. And so, and, and then after 21 days, you know, adrift, they survived, and they go back to that. It was, it was the one seagull. And so for the rest of this man's life, he had such appreciation for seagulls, because that's what God used, that he went to that dock every Friday and fed the seagulls. That was a man that was motivated by gratitude. You think how many people might have looked at that and said, oh, that man, he must really love seagulls. I don't know why. There was a story to that. He appreciated the seagulls and obviously understood that that was how God provided. But you know, that's the kind of thing. When you and I see the benevolent hand of God in our lives, we are grateful for those things, the people that he puts in our life, the provisions he puts in our life, but mainly the one that gave it. So, if you are really going to be thankful, then you have to understand who to direct that praise. We're not thanking our lucky stars, folks. We're thanking Almighty God, the benevolent God that gives us all things to enjoy.
Finally, oh, and let me just read to the end. I mentioned Paul Harvey. Um, I just gave you the summary, but here's what Paul Harvey said. He shared that story, and he said, "You know that Captain Eddie made it, and you, and now you know all, and now you also know that he never forgot, because every Friday evening about sunset on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida coast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent." His bucket filled with shrimp was to feed the gulls, to remember that one which on that day long ago gave itself without a struggle like manna in the wilderness. And then he'd say, and now you know the rest of the story. But folks, you think of how many people are looking at, like they've experienced some kind of blessings in their life. But they don't know where they've come from. And by the way, folks, God's grace is poured out not just on believers. The sun rises on the just and the unjust. God blesses people that don't deserve it, and they don't even acknowledge Him, and yet He has still given them so many good things in life to enjoy. Finally, look at verse 5. The basis of the thanksgiving. Again, Philippians chapter 1 Verses 3 through 5, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And by the way, uh, in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Uh, Take note real quickly, always in every prayer. um, You might tend to think that, okay, Paul, all he did was prayed. Always in every prayer. In fact, Paul would be the one that would challenge people, pray without ceasing. We read that in 1 Thessalonians. How do you do that? Well, I'm sorry, but if we're going to constantly pray, we can't be talking to other people. Because if you have a conversation with someone, then they're interrupting your prayer. Right? If if the idea of constantly praying, that's not what he meant. He wasn't saying, I spend spend 24-7 in prayer. That's all I do. No, the idea was he continually did it. You know, if somebody wants connected that idea of pray without ceasing, the Greek term, was actually a medical term that they would use to refer to an incessant cough. Now, when somebody coughs, you know, an incessant cough isn't just, you know, all your life. You cough, then you stop, you cough. And that's the idea of breathing, or praying, rather. Praying without ceasing is just, that that's something we do a lot of. And so when he says praying always with all prayer... Again, it meant that he prayed a lot. And he would often, when he was praying, when he'd remember the Philippians, he'd pray for them. And that's the way we should be. It's just, it's what God wants. Communication with us. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to walk with him. And when we do, then we become appreciative. Now look at verse 5. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. So he had joy. Because he was thankful for people, even the difficult people, he was able to have joy. And we need to do the same. Verse 5, for your, here's the key, here was the basis of why he thanked God, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What was Paul thanking God for? Them, but particularly their fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now. Now, the now would probably be referring to the gift that they just gave him so that he could continue 
in gospel ministry. They were partners. They were koinonia. It's a, a Greek word that is translated here, fellowship. It's a very popular Greek word. You probably heard it. Koinonia simply means fellowship. It's what you have in common. And their fellowship was in the gospel. And it began on the first day. Remember when Paul went into, into Philippi in Acts chapter 16? And uh, he, um, I'm looking for the verse, Acts chapter 16. And verse 15. Listen to what it says about Lydia. He says, And when she was baptized and her household, that's Lydia, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide here. And she constrained us. So Paul didn't want to be a burden. That's why he was a tent maker. But Lydia said, after Lydia heard the gospel and got saved, she said, Stay at my house. Stay at my house. We will take care of you. And, and so that was the first day. And then Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he mentions the gift that was just given. So when Paul talks about from the first day until now, that fellowship, that koinonia, that thing they had in common, they were partners with him in the gospel ministry. It was all about the gospel. One writer said this, uh, it does not take much reading of Paul's letters to recognize that the gospel is the singular passion of his life. That passion is the glue that in particular holds this letter to get, got together. And then he says this, By gospel, especially in Philippians, Paul refers primarily neither to a body of teaching nor to proclamation. Above all, pay attention to this, above all, the gospel has to do with Jesus Christ, both his person and his work. To preach the gospel is to proclaim God's good news of the person of Jesus Christ. He is the gift. To preach the gospel is to proclaim God's good news of salvation accomplished in Jesus Christ. In fact, the word gospel and the word Jesus Christ often go interchangeably. And that reminds us of something very important. Our fellowship in the gospel is it's what God started the church for. It's what God it's it's what God does. Remember Jesus said, I shall build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In, in Ephesians chapter four, verses twelve, Paul talks about the ministries in the local church have a purpose. For the edifying or the edif- for the for the equipping the saints. For the work of the ministry, which is the gospel, for the edification of the body of Christ. That's the joy. So as we, one, you, you who are involved in this church, no matter what way you're involved in this church, you and I have fellowship together in the gospel. Whether even if you just give a, a little bit, you are a part of it. When you come and you associate, and you pray for one another, that's our fellowship is in the gospel. You think of how many people are out there that have gotten saved and they're just wandering out there without connecting to anybody of believers and no edification. They've not submitted themselves to the offices of the local church so they can be equipped. They're like an island. But you, we have fellowship 
in the gospel. What a blessed thing. I want to close with this illustration. Uh, I heard a preacher recently, or a young man actually in, in seminary, or coming out of seminary, and um, he had a hobby horse, a theological hobby horse that he rode for, for many years. And then God humbled him one time. And he did an interview. This is where I heard him say this. And it just jumped out. I shared it a while back, I think, at prayer meeting one time. But the, the person that was interviewing him online said, if you could go back to your early Christian self, you know, just out of Bible college, if you could go back to your early Christian self, what would you say to yourself? His name was Tim. And he said this. He said, if I could talk to my younger self, which was nine years ago, he was a young guy, so that's a lot of years to him. He said, if I could talk to my, uh, my earlier self, he, I would sit Tim aside. He's talking about himself. I'd sit myself aside, and I'd say, Tim, your faith is unhealthy because Jesus is not at its center. You may be a believer. You're a preacher. You're a Bible college graduate. But Jesus Christ, the risen person of Jesus, is not the person you're in love with. And he needs to be. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with the gospel. And let everything else in your life be secondary. As Jesus becomes more important and the gospel becomes more important, without even trying it, all the other things will become secondary by comparison. Man, that's brilliant. I really think it is. You see, hobby horses, theological hobby horses can be good. You know, Theological doctrine is very important. But if it replaces our love and affection for Jesus Christ, it's possible to have a hobby horse and be far from God. Man, I love that. I love that. So I hope today that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where the communication, that's where prayer comes in. You're praying. When was the last time you thanked God? Even if it was just one of those H.A. Ironsides in a restaurant bowing your head and everyone's looking at you like a fruitcake. You know, you just, you just talk to God. And then when you do that and you see that God is a benevolent God and even with the trials in your life, He is blessing you. He, you he's your benefactor. Then you're going to be thankful. Then you're going to have joy. I thank God for the people that he's put in Bible Baptist Church. Just thinking about this as I was looking over this last part. The fellowship, the koinonia of the gospel. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about some of our church members and uh, thinking of them. And I, I've seen this so many times in, in just in the last year where one of our church members will be you know, standing or sitting with someone and trying to witness to them. Say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 this is Bible Baptist Church. I thought you couldn't come in here unless you're definitely saved. Uh, we have no sign over our door that says only saved people allowed, right? And we'll have people to come in. In fact, I want to I challenge you, don't assume that the guy or, guy or gal sitting next to you is born again. Because there's people that come to Bible-believing churches all the time 
that have yet to experience the saving work of Jesus Christ. They've not been born again. They go to gospel preaching churches. They sit in there. They may even nod their heads, but they do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that describe you? It could. But what a blessing it's been because those that are saved in our church pretty soon get to figure out who's not given a clear testimony. Now, we're not judging as far as like we're not condemning you. We're not the ones that tell, okay, saved, saved, not saved, saved. But you get to, you, when you get to know people and you talk to people, you find out who you, you, you don't think are saved. And it's been such a blessing to me. I was just thinking of a couple, couple people over the last year that have taken someone aside and they've, they've, tried to, they've tried their best. And they're often people I've tried my best to crack, you know. And so it's such a blessing to me when I'm running around after church and I see someone's working on that person because I've been praying for them. I haven't hear, heard a clear testimony of, from them yet. Oh, someone's witnessing to that person and I've not hear, heard a clear testimony from them. What a blessing that is. That is our koinonia, our fellowship in the gospel. And I thank you for being part of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, almighty God, to understand these three indissoluble things. Prayer, thanksgiving, and joy. And Father, maybe it's just one of those things that it's become obvious to us that we don't have that in our life. Maybe there's someone here that doesn't have joy or they're just not thankful. And, and most invariably, Father, it's probably because they've not had a close walk with you. They've not been praying. They've not been learning of your goodness. They've not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so, Father, I pray that these three indissoluble things would uh, never be uh, disattached, that they'd never be separated in our life that we would see them as three vital components in our lives that must always be there. And Father, when we begin to stray from you, just show us we've lost our joy. Show us we're not grateful. Show us that we've not been praying. And Father, these three things can surely return because you have been so good to us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.